I am not a European. I am not an African. I am not an Indian. I am not Chinese or Syrian. I am not Amerindian. I am not American, North or South. I am none of these. I am all of these. Peter Minchel. Hello everyone. Welcome to Rewriting Her Story, a podcast by Girl Up IWO. I am Sydney, your host, and today I have Valmiki Maharaj with me. In this episode, we are going to talk about the diversity in carnival and its impact on the wider culture. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Rewriting Her Story. Today, we are going to discuss diversity in carnival and its impact on the wider culture. So, how are you, Mr. Val? I am doing very well, and I'm absolutely um, I'm I'm blushing because you're calling me Mr. Val. When <laughs> when anybody calls you Mr., it puts you in a whole different standpoint. Thank you very much. <laughs> how are you're you? I'm right. doing well. Nice. So, I mean, how has no carnival? How is it? Well, Gil, it's been a lot, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, as we say locally, it's been a definite go of a season. You know, um, it's, uh, it, it's an uncertain time, and it's a time of changing realities. And I think it's been very difficult for many people, you know, um, ourselves included. And, but at the same time, if you had had this conversation with me one year ago, I might be giving you you know, a more solemn answer. One year later, I think I've been able to, um, you know, appreciate both the bads and the goods for what they are. And I've been able to count my blessings. You know, I've been able to um, be able to appreciate that, uh, you know, despite the fact that, you know, on the business side of it financially, it's been a very rough time and it continues to be a very rough time for everyone in the industry. I think in terms of growth and opportunity and creativity, I just feel like if it's been one of our most successful years. Yes. And can we just have like a typical day in the life of Mr. Val? Just a typical day-to-day life? Hmm. What is a a day in the life of Val? Um, Well, every... What do you mean? You tell me what... What what do you mean? Like just anything that I do? Like from, from beginning to end? A typical day? Yes, anything you do during the day. Okay. Um, well, going against everybody's advice, I'm one of those people who start my day on my phone. I'm not going to lie to you. I go to <laughs> bed with it and I wake up with it in the morning. <laughs> um, uh, it just works for me, you know. So I get up and I spend time in bed, honestly, um, on my phone checking messages. And so I'm a very spiritual person. So... I must say, when my eyes open, you know, they, I, I do open with a prayer, thanking God for the day and for waking up, etc. And based on my meetings and stuff for the day, because I've always been a very flexible person in terms of scheduling, then that dictates the rest of the day. So I may be going to locations for site visits for different events or productions that we're working on right now. Um, or I might be going to the office for different meetings. And our offices are in Woodbrook in town. And normally when I get into town, you know, I move around between a couple of buildings and so um yeah and that takes me down till later on in the afternoon where passing through meeting to meeting to meeting then eventually i get back home and settle into my evening routine which uh, you know encompasses a little bit of spiritual time for myself and going to bed looking at tiktoks <laughs> that's it <laughs> in a yeah, nutshell that, that sounds fun so <laughs> Who, who or what inspired you to get into Carnival? Well, that's kind of a funny story because um, when I was younger, as a teenager, Carnival was never my main goal. You know, it was something that I was absolutely obsessed with, something that I loved. You know, this uh, um, festival entity, this thing that I was just attracted to, um, and of course, I, I went to QRC, so I, I always say that I, I I went to school, you know, like in the belly of the beast when it came to Carnival, because I went to school around the Savannah. So you were literally right. in the middle of everything. Um, so yeah, I, I just feel like if I was attracted to it, but my goal at that time was fashion. And when I ended up pursuing business, 
I told myself, you know, I still want to, I still feel attracted for some reason to creative endeavors and I don't want to turn away from that. And I think that's where Carnival ended up happening for me. While it's in university, uh, I reached out to different mass camps to say that, you know, hey, I want to design, I want to work with you. Um, I also worked with different um, productions in terms of fashion and creativity, photo shoots, fashion shows, etc. in the country at the time. And I was very fortunate to work with, I think, a number of, you know, very caring, very loving people, such as Mr. Calvin French, who has passed away, Peter Elias, Ashwin Bali, um, Monique Nobrega, who is one of the owners of Tribe, Dinaki, and of course, one of the owners of Tribe as well. And when I started with them, both not only on the carnival side, but on the fashion side and just on the production side behind these types of, you know, kinetic creative um, spaces, I think that's maybe the synthesis of what led me to Carnival. Nice. And um, so that, that sounds really interesting. And we would, we would go a little deeper in a while. So what, what does diversity mean to you? What does diversity mean to me? Um, I think, you know, diversity means opportunity. It means existence and life. Um, it means what is right. You know, I think the, the greatest irony is that we have to fight for diversity. Because I feel like if it's a catch-22, because I think we are born into diversity, you know, we are born into ourselves. And we are born into a world that has all of us as a part of it. So somewhere along the line of us entering this world, you know, our spirits traveling through space and time, uh, something went wrong <laughs> with some people feeling that they, were better, that they were better than the other or feeling that some people were not as great as them or, or, or you know, and it's, it, it's weird. You know, that part of it is weird. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking the greatest show on earth, Carnival. What is Carnival? I think it's, it's, it's um, that question coming after the first one helps me continue to answer the first question. Um, when, you, when, when I think about diversity, I do think about Carnival. I must say that. I mean, apart from Carnival being the language of my creativity right now, um, it's a space that I can't see in one tool. You know, it's a space that I can't see on one plane. And, and maybe it was the way that I was introduced to it. And it's the nature of what carnival is in itself. So what is carnival? Carnival is a conduit for us to find ourselves. Carnival is a space for us to feel free, you know, free of judgment, free of retribution, free for ourselves to be ourselves. And, you know, Carnival is a platform for diversity in this rigid world that we live in right now. Yeah, and I mean, you are, you are Mr. Bad. You are one of my favorite designers and creative oh, person. <laughs> so I want to know, you know, have you ever faced any sort of discrimination in the, the Carnival industry? Well, so what I'll tell you is that I um, I'm sometimes very naive to many things that happen around me. So what I've realized in the discussion of discrimination is that there were things that I didn't see happening at the time that I look back on now and I realize that, yes, I was discriminated against um, based on sexuality, based on skin color, based on size. You know, there were things that I was passed up, um, opportunities that, 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 that I was looked over for, um, that I, I, I do feel that maybe I, I would have been able to contribute create to different projects. And so that at the time went to other people. And, you know, you look back on it, what, what, what is it that they say that hindsight sometimes is 2020? Um, sometimes you become later privy to conversations that you hear like, oh my God, I heard this person say that or that. And you realize that, you know, these things that you read, read about, uh, that they present themselves to you. What I would say, however, is that... Um, there were situations that I found myself in that I found very nurturing, that I think helped me deal with and helped me, allowed me to be naive to some of those situations. Um, I found myself in our organization in uh, a support group 
you know, um, the family of my, my, my carnival family then that I think looked out for me, that uh, um, gave me that support that I think helped uh, soften the blow of the industry. Because when I look back on the color and shape and form of the industry, when I entered, it was very different, you know, for somebody of my, my, my type, I suppose you could say, entering then. Yeah. And um, so let's talk Lost Tribe. What is the Lost Tribe? What is the Lost Tribe? I mean, the Lost Tribe is my child. <laughs> it is, <laughs> it's, a, it's a constant experiment. Um, it's an expression of love. And it's my, my offering to the carnival. It was, it, it happened at a time in my li life, and I was actually just speaking to a friend about this two days ago. You know, I, Carnival was, I think, going well for me as a young designer, as a young businessman growing, and it's a, you know, there was a path and, a, and I suppose a trajectory you could say that uh, I was on, but there came a point, and I still don't have a reason for this, that I just felt like my creative soul was hungry, was crying. And I just felt like I wanted something more. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I just did. And because I wanted something more, I felt that I actually had to leave Carnival. And I remember having a conversation with Dean um, at the time, you know, as the head of tribe, saying, "Here, yeah, what now? Things are really, you know, I'm unhappy. Um, nothing as a result of anything from them or from you know, from business or anything. This is just me. This is just me as an artist telling you, I don't know what it is, but something, you know, two and two are adding up here right now for me and I need to try to find something else. And, you know, when I spoke about that community and that oasis before that kind of supported me, Dean was a part of that. And he said to me, you know, we, he engaged a conversation that resulted in the development of what was the Lost Tribe. He gave me the opportunity to take the concept and turn it into something that I was very comfortable with and that I saw the future in. And what do I mean by seeing the future? You know, the Lost Tribe is a band that is not held by parameters of design. It isn't held by definitions of beauty and it isn't held by, you know, standards of the industry. If that, and those are three very, very, very broad and very vague statements. But what do I mean by that is that it's a space that I want any masquerade and every single masquerade to be able to come and find themselves in. And that from a creative standpoint, I want creatives to be able to come and explore without fear of, oh, is this looking like, you know, the other costumes that are on the market right now? You know, we have conversations about design versus business and we have conversations about design versus trend all the time. But it's a space that designers can find themselves and grow in. And what I have found with the Lost Tribe is that from the time we started, I, I've never, I never felt bored again. There never was a year that I felt that, oh, I'm bringing back out the same thing again, you know, or I didn't even feel forced. I didn't even feel scared by, oh, are we running out of ideas? It almost seems to be like this organic space. And when I say a space, I don't mean a physical mass camp, you know, I mean, but when we get together, the idea of the Lost Tribe is a space that it inspires innovation. And I feel like it has forced me almost beyond the parameters of Carnival, where, as I said before, Carnival is my language right now, but my language to innovate, my language to impact and speak to culture, you know, to be able to make cultural movements and innovations. Yeah, and I mean, with Lost Tribe, we see costumes with persons being more covered and we move away from the traditional feather backpack to cloth and all these different shapes and and these different colors now why is that is that like just the way of standing out for the lost tribe well it's funny you would ask this before i did speak about um industry parameters and one of the things that i did take very seriously in the beginning because it used to irritate me is the criticism of the the critics, you know, the, the, the critical powers that be, who would always speak about the bikini and beat feather mass. And I said, well, if we are doing this, I'm going to show you that, you know, as a team of designers, we don't need to use a feather as the foundation block of our costumes. Like we could design costumes with anything. 
Um, I'm not saying that a feather will never be appropriate in the costume and the design. I'm just saying that uh, right now we have not found that. Like I've been able to, you know, design birds using fabric and using plastic and using gems and beads. Um, I've been able to use raffia. I've been able to use wool and pom poms. We've been able to explore, and, you know, like that mandate has forced us to search the globe far and wide for materials, for different types of materials, different types of embroideries and silks and, and cottons and wools to be able to put together these, uh, you know, these costumes that you see in front of you dancing on Carnival Monday or Tuesday. Wow, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> where, where did the name The Lost Tribe stem from? Oh my God. Um, so when I first started working on the band, we actually decided that I was going to work on costumes before actually confirming that we were going to produce this band. It was kind of a test phase, like a prototyping phase. So we started designing costumes in the first year. I may have designed like five or six costumes. Um, and whilst designing the costumes, the prototype name for the band that had no name was The Lost Tribe. And where it came from was that, you know, it was the idea of Carnival as a tribe of people, as a tribe of creatives that, you know, were lost in this wild creative landscape, you know? kind of like wandering and wandering and wandering, you know, not finding themselves. And I felt like if, uh, you know, referring to this group of us, this, this, this prophecy of the lost tribe would be a prophecy of us finding ourselves and finding our creativity again, of us coming back home. Um, actually, when we, first, when we first launched, a lot of people made the comparison to Minshaw's lost tribe, which was one of his famous themes um, when he had the carnival band and, I was so honored by that because I'm, a, I'm such a, I mean, a fan might be one way to describe it, but, you know, I revere Mitchell so much. He's, he's a fantastic mind, a fantastic person, and I really look up to his work. So when they made that comparison, and so I felt as though, you know, our naming the band, the, the band, the Lost Tribe, was almost in tribute to him and the kind of work that he did back in his day as well. Wow. And are there criterias for a new or coming designer to join the Lost Tribe? The Lost Tribe sorry, what must they be able to bring to the, type, to the table? So here, my challenge right now. So as a creative director, as a band leader, um, one, of my, one of the things that I believe most is that opportunity for us is borrowed and must be passed on to the next generation. Um, you know, I, I believe in the concept of learn and teach, the concept of passing on opportunity because it's not ours to keep. Um, where it gets difficult is that, as I said, as a creative director now, I have to create sometimes more and more spaces because the band and the size of the band is finite. So I'm not gonna lie to you, it's difficult to jump in because sometimes I just don't have any more sections to give somebody to design. If the band has eight sections, the maximum amount of designers that I can have is eight designers, you know? So right now, yeah. I have a full palette. I have a full design team. And I've been working with them for a couple of years because I wanted to work with them. I wanted us to grow together. I wanted us to explore as a unit. And there's so many different types of projects that we have been working on together. So apart from Carnival Design, you know, there are many who I have worked with and I have seen grow into styling. Like Rasan um, has been such a fantastic example of this. Somebody who has redefined, I think, you know, the Caribbean aesthetic. She is not afraid of color. She has explored different angles. We have someone like Shanda Lorig now who started with us and, you know, is very quiet, very tasteful in her jewelry design. But when she gets into carnival, she explodes with those same finer details, but into color, you know? Um, many yeah. of those names I've mentioned, Atiba, JP, Keon, who are all on our team, I used them as the design team to work with for Lavoie, which was uh, the um, experimental film that we worked on for carnival this year. So, you know, that's yeah. what I mean when I say try to explore different ways that 
the opportunity to design with Arsenal does not lie in designing just a section alone for Carnival Monday and Tuesday. I think to answer your question, if you're a young designer and you want to come and be part of the Lost Tribe, what I really want to see in you is I want to see fearlessness. I want to see your ability to innovate, your ability to experiment. Um, I want to see original thoughts, you know. I want to see charisma. Um, most importantly, I think I want to see honesty and an ability to say, I'm going to leave my ego by the door and I'm going to come to join this, you know, this 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 village of designers and work with them yeah. to say, you know, let's go and let's do more and let's do different things and let's experiment differently. Because I think that is what is most characteristic about our design style. Yeah. And so you mentioned Lab Week. Yes. So let's talk Lab Week. Let's talk. What is Lab Week? <laughs> so what is Lab Week? So when we first started Lost Tribe, I really, really, really wanted to have a show. It was yeah. still is going to happen. Um, it was supposed to be a show that combined the glamour and greatness and loudness of Broadway and Cirque du Soleil, those types of shows that you know we love to see when we go abroad, and combine mm -hmm. it with the best of our carnival, you know, our understanding of color and costuming and kaleidoscope, our understanding of movements and sound. Like the way that we move and the way that we approach design as Trinidadians and as Caribbean people, you know, it's just, it's so unique. There's something beautifully coscal about the way that we just touch everything and add more. But at the same time, yeah. when we add more, it just makes it us, you know? So anyway, I wanted to do this show and I felt like I just saw this vision and every year it kept being put on the shelf. But I believe in windows of opportunity. So I say my prayers when I get up in the morning, I don't tell you, and I say, Lord, we're going hard. We're going to do this show. So we got to year five of Lost Driver, which was the year just before um, the pandemic started there. And the psychology was... Have the 50 on the road, and during that year, we would do a number of different things to highlight five years of this band. One of those things being the show, the Lost Tribe show. The pandemic came and hit. We were all in lockdown, and there was no way for that to happen because we couldn't gather. And we didn't know how long it was going to last for. And somewhere in the mix of all the ups and downs, the lockdowns, the releases, the tears and the smiles of last year, a surge of creativity came and turned the concept that I wanted to have happen physically into a virtual expression. I felt that, you know, for all these years, we have invited the world to carnival. And this was the first time that I felt we were forced into the opportunity to send carnival to them. And I felt that, you know, our culture is so beautiful, it's so heartwarming, it's so familiar to us that I wanted to show it in a different language to the rest of the world. And I think in some of the interviews that I spoke about in Closer to Carnival Time this year, I spoke about the language of the world. And the language of the world includes podcasts such as this. It includes the virtual platforms that we haven't been very good at taking advantage of before. Um, it includes cinematography and film, sound, and music. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted when people saw that way for them to be like, oh my God, I didn't think about it like that. Or I've never seen my culture like that. I wanted it to stretch beyond Trinidadians looking at it in the diaspora, looking at it in the Caribbean diaspora. You know, I wanted our people to look at this and they couldn't come home and look at it and be like, oh my God, you know, this is mine because it is, it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to the lost tribe. It doesn't belong to any brand. It belongs to all of us. And all I was fortunate enough to do with the ultimate events team, with the lost tribe team, with the tribe team this year, with the Carib team this year is to kind of be the vessel through which we were able to push that out there. So, you know, it was experimental film. It was a film that was based in poetry very deep poetry and it's something that I didn't want to water down for lack of a better description because I felt that you know I wanted to show what I saw in my head 
and let it be just the first step. And what I can promise you is that when you ask what is Lavoie, Lavoie is the first step in that direction. The content that you see coming from us is going to be very different. Um, and there's many, many, many more Lavoies, um, not necessarily Lavoie 1 and 2 and 3, but different expressions like that that are going to be um, happening over the next couple of years. Nice. Um, so yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that. Um, what what drives your creativity? I mean, what what? How does the process even begin? Where you get your inspiration from? Hmm. That is probably one of the, the most frequently asked questions to any quote unquote creative. Huh? But one of the hardest ones I find. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if other people find it easy to answer, but I find it difficult. Um, quite frankly, because every time you ask me, it's gonna it's gonna be different. You know, I am, I, I am my work. I am art. Art is relative to and synonymous with its environment. So everything that's around me inspires me. You know, I, I am inspired by the pandemic as much as I am kind of afraid of it you know so my emotions in terms of my reactions to my environment around me is going to push and impact my work um grief and emotion and feeling charges your work in different way like i was actually having a conversation with a friend the other day where i said you know um we were talking about the stereotype of the sad artist you know they the, the, the artists are always in some level of trauma and grief and pain or whatever um, to create great works. You know, it was just a conversation that was part of a big conversation. And I said, you know, I, I feel like if I've almost experienced that in my own life, that uh, instinctively my body turns to art and turns to my work and turns to an expression to deal with and act as my own therapy for different situations. You know, whether it be loss or whether it be joy, on the other side, I think in terms of inspiration for creativity, um, it comes from your subject as well. So in, in, in the vein of carnival, it comes from the masquerader. Because as I, I always say and remind myself of, we are part of this, the design story when it comes to a costume. I mean, our mask is kinetic. So what I design as a costume somebody has to wear. So I'm, I'm very much inspired by the way that the masquerader moves, how they feel, what the music they want, how they want to dance to the music, you know, like does a man want to jump? Does he want to whine? You know, does somebody want to go down on the ground and roll? Do they want to spin around? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm constantly inspired by the way that the costume encourages and inspires movement and how our design is then inspired by the movement of the masquerader. So it's almost like this weird cycle, you know, that we are trapped in that the design inspires the movement, but the movement inspires the design. Yeah, and um, Taj and Nancy, those were just two of the the teams that you all had for for Carnival. So, how does the process for of getting a team for Carnival and producing this this entire um? sections all these sections for a band how does it work i mean we just have less than we have less than a year mm -hmm. before the next carnival mm -hmm. so how does it work well is that fair so <laughs> <laughs> between any carnival so that's like your regular february march carnival right between any carnival and the launch of the next carnival which happens in our java july august vacation time period there you don't have a full year obviously it's a couple of months so what we actually do yeah. is start designing the band a year and a half in advance so basically wow. after a band is launched so let's say we launched the band in july i would have already conceptualized what i'm doing for the following year i have a couple of ideas i play with it but as i said before a lot of what we do is inspired by the happenings of the world around us. So by the time we get to September, I dive into it in a very deep way. So we have opened for registration. The mass camp is abuzz with excitement. My maskers are registering for the year that's immediately coming. But while they are coming in the background, 
we have started working on the next year, which is the one after the carnival that we are now preparing for. So that year and a half is really, really important because um, as we said before in this conversation, we aren't dealing with um, a carbon copy of what happened from the year prior. So I'm not saying, well, I designed, I'm just saying like five triangles and this year we're going back to do the same five triangles in green and next year we're doing it in red. It's a totally, we start all the way over. So the costing process is very difficult. The sourcing of material process is very difficult. Um, obviously, out of COVID times, we have the opportunity to travel. So I used to travel a lot. So I would go to New York and try to find different types of materials. I would go to India. Um, this year, I wanted to travel a little bit more to some other um, East Asian countries to try to find different types of materials and and find different design houses and stuff, different production houses, different artisan spaces to be able to just explore, you know, to see what else is out there for us to be able to bring back to Trinidad to help us execute our vision further. Um, so that time is really important before we even get into the prototyping phase, which will then start after the carnival happens. So basically, I would tell you approximately a year and a half in preparation um, for the theme. Okay. Wow, that, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> but um, so we're talking diversity. How how can we see diversity on the two most important days of the year, Carnival Monday and Carnival Tuesday? Well, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that I see is that when I stand in the band, when I stand in Port of Spain, um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to walk through quite a number of bands on Carnival Monday and Tuesday. Um, mainly because I'm also somebody who is often late on Carnival Monday and Tuesday as well. So I'm always running with my friends to try to get from one place to the other place. And, you know, we walk through on the side of other bands and so on. I see diversity on the streets. Where I think it gets very interesting is in the marketing towards those two days. And in the capturing of those two days and the sharing of what happened on the streets of those two days afterwards. And I'm sure you know what I mean. Where what you see as the collateral, the imagery and so that represent the carnival, I don't think always fully represent what we see on the streets. Like when you see a band, you know, a band is a mix of, you know, people, colors. Creeds, races, you know, everybody we in one is a pale out. That's what we know as our carnival and as Trinidad. Uh, when you see the streets beyond the ropes of some of the bands, you see these little bands that have a variety of people. Everybody comes from different walks of life. Like that's one of the beautiful things about carnival. And they play in mass together. Who stand up on the side of the street buying an orange, watching the band pass, who stand up by the bar. Like, it just is, like, when I think about carnival, that's what I think, and I think I mentioned this before when I said, you know, what is diversity? Diversity is carnival to me. But when I see the imagery that happens before, and this is now where, where, it, where it travels through the machinery, the marketing machinery and the branding machinery of different personalized private companies, then you see a particular type of person being represented, particular races, particular looks, particular feels. Um... And for, in, the, in the case of, you know, gender equality, women being represented in certain ways and so. And that extends into what we see happening after Carnival as well. So it's something that I think we have to be very cognizant of as private companies. I think it's something that we need to speak to our vendors about. Because one of the things I always say is that, uh, you know, the tribe family of bands, which includes like six bands, uh, there, are, there are a lot of images that you see coming out afterwards that... that that are taken in our bands. The majority of them we don't have control over because the photographers don't work for us. They, they roam the streets for carnival, they take pictures and so they edit as they wish and then they post afterwards. But what you see in the pictures, you see a tribe picture or a lost tribe picture or a bliss picture accordingly. So over the past couple of years, with the work that we have been doing with the UN, UN Women Caribbean, I have been having very real conversations with our photographers with our videographers, um, with anybody who's entering our band, our space to be able to capture, to, you know, 
to speak to them about representing the diversity that exists within our carnival and in representing the diversity that is Lost Tribe Carnival on the road. And also to, to understand that any image that we put out there, it has a vibration, it has a power, words have power. And what you're doing right now, you may see as one picture, but it is impacting the landscape of carnival, our culture and our country in the future. You know, it's almost like the butterfly effect. Every single thing that each one of us does uh, is, is going to impact what, what, what happens in the future but, or what's happening somewhere else in the world. So, you know, carnival is a beautiful, beautiful space. It's a diverse space. There's so many people happening operating and, and celebrating and expressing in different pockets all over. But I think, you know, sometimes we operate in too many different pockets and islands around the carnival. And uh, you know, hopefully we see that change as we continue to do the good work moving forward. Yeah. And is two days enough? <laughs> so, <laughs> you only have me laughing here on this podcast. Um, so it's funny because we um we have this group party called Last Lap. It happens on the Saturday after Carnival coming out the tribe. And the main tagline of it is hashtag two days is not enough. <laughs> so, um for me as somebody who works in the industry, by the time Carnival Tuesday gets here, let me tell you, I am so tired. I try not to be. But the work that we put in, and I'm sure anybody who works in the industry, whether it be a DJ, a bartender, a security, a designer, it don't matter. You work so much for the for the the, the carnival season. But by the time you hit the road, you're running on pure adrenaline. So I think my body and my physical state of being would tell you, yes, two days is enough. I can't do anymore. Um, but in <laughs> but in many ways. I, I I don't I do I never see carnival in just two days, you know. To me, it's just it's the entire season, and so in that light, I would say no, two days is not enough, you know. Yeah, and um, I mean, Lavwe um had a lot of traditional mask characters, right? Mm-hmm. So, what is your favorite traditional mask character and why? Oh my God, there's a very hard question. I love all of them. Um, <laughs> I think. Like, I don't know, have you ever heard someone say, like, you know, when you go to a museum and you stand, or a gallery, and you stand in front of a piece of art or work of art, that you feel something, but of course, everybody feels different, you know, but the vibrations that you feel by standing in front of this piece of, you know, it's real. And that's how I feel about our traditional characters. I have had experiences there. I have interacted with stood in front and past these different characters at different times in my life and I have felt different things, you know. Um, each of them means something differently to different people, whether it be visually, um, whether it be historical context, you know, it means something to every single person. That's why I think I can't choose one because I, I feel like if my, um, my journey with them is still continuing, and my understanding is continuing. Okay. However, that being said, if I have to choose one right now, <laughs> I probably would tell you Moko Jumbies. I know most people would probably say Moko Jumbies because they're one of the more popular ones. Huh? But yeah, there's right. something so, like, I'm absolutely obsessed with them. I always have been. And there's something so majestic about the way that they walk. You know, like, almost like bigger, bigger animals. Like, let's say, like, an elephant or a giraffe. There's something very graceful about the way they walk, even if they're very big. And that's how I feel when I yeah. stand next to Moko Jumpies. And every single year, um, here's a little piece of information, a fun fact. Every single year that I design the band, and I work with our design team to refine it, um, I design Moko Jumpy costumes every single year. And every single year, because I don't have enough money to make all of them, I ended up putting them away. <laughs> so... They're designed on paper, but I haven't been able to always make them. So the, the poetry Moko Jumbies that we used in Lavwe, I actually designed those in the first year of Lost Tribe. I really wanted them to be on the road with the band. And what we had played in the first year was um, like the savannah and going through the emotional um, parade of the masquerader as the masquerader 
came towards the savannah, the savannah stage and moved up. Poetry is not part of that story. In the second year, the poetry started up again in my mind, and I wasn't able to make the costumes again. And then it took, you know, many years later until maybe four years later until I was able to produce them this year. So you know, I feel very lucky to have been able to do that. I look forward to designing more and more and more mobile jumping costumes. Yeah, and um, for almost all of the the um the the, the teams that you all have, mm-hmm. like Taj and Anansi, um, there's always a story. Uh, what, where, where do you like get these stories? What, what drives you to these stories? Um, there's always like this dramatic production before we cross the stage. What, what is it? So, the story side of it, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, I've said I, I've, I've dedicated my life to telling our stories. Lost Tribe is a storytelling man. I love stories. I always have. And I love storytelling. And I love the nuances between different cultures and different people and different speakers. The way that different people tell stories. So, you know, the themes and the stories, as I said before, they're inspired from a variety of different things. And I had a perspective in my mind um before covid as to what all these different years of stories were going to be now covid has happened it's kind of changed things around a little bit but i have themes for years and years and years to come in my mind that i want to execute um when you get down to the year fits and as i said what's happening around us what's happening to me personally as an artist in my life and so impacts what the actual story is that is executed and the way that the story is told so for example when we did Taj, um, when I went to India before, I didn't know that we were going to tell the story in Taj Mahal, but I knew I was going to go in that direction and I wanted to go and see it. And when I went and I visited, then I saw, I mean, it may, it may seem cliche to say I saw a vision, but I saw, you know, the story of Taj Mahal told through the poetry of the Taj Mahal. I didn't want to tell the story of Shahjahan and loss and grief but I wanted to tell the story through everything about this building and what it represented I wanted to tell you know the way that you know there's something very beautiful about the way that artists describe settings and spaces I wanted that to transfer in a very real way into not only the costumes but the way that the masqueraders understood each part of the costume you know in terms of what you see as as a dramatic presentation of the road uh, on the road, sorry, I'm very, very fortunate to have a very, very good friend called Miss Bridget Wilson. You also interview her next podcast. She's amazing and very funny. Um, <laughs> she's amazing. She is the principal of the Caribbean School of Dance and the lead choreographer for the Metamorphosis Dance Company. So when we started the Lost Tribe, I went to Bridget and I said, Bridget, Bridget, you know, we opened in a band. Come, let me play a mask. And she came, and I just told her, I said, you know, Bridget, I, 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 I want to do presentations for the road, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And let me tell you, she is my um, biggest cheerleader, and I am her biggest cheerleader. And what you see on the road is the process of us working together. Before the band is even designed, I sit with Bridget, like how I'm sitting, speaking to you right now. We sit in my office, and we speak about what I see vision-wise, story-wise, idea-wise. And as I start to sketch, as much as the designers are a part of the process, Bridget becomes a part of that process as well. And she looks at the costumes and she sees. So she starts to become very in tune with what the entire band is. And when it gets onto the presentation side of it now, I have some thoughts and some ideas about the costuming, about um, certain scenes, about the movements, and that I, I envision being a part of what we see being presented on stage. And Bridget takes my ideas she takes my words she takes things that i don't even remember see because i talk so much and she, she translated in, in movement and it's one of the most beautiful things that i've ever really witnessed to be quite honest to see her choreograph and to take thought and just turn that into not only movement but coordinated movement on the stage with all these bodies choreographing and designing for the savannah stage and for the carnival stage is so difficult because i always say you know carnival is a sport stage you have wind you have noise you have trucks you have dust, you have it isn't like we're designing for a theater stage it's different you know 
it has a lot more conditions. Yeah. You know, I I celebrate her for what she does, not for the band alone, but for her in terms of uh, helping move and shape this vision. Yeah, and just to answer our topic question, how does diversity in carnival impact the wider culture? So, I, I, I was speaking to a friend who works in entertainment in LA many years ago, and we spoke about carnival being the center of many things in Trinidad, you know? So Trinidad is a country that you may have a minority of people who play carnival, but you have a majority of people who are impacted by the carnival. It's a space where the conversations happen. It's a space that has a lot of high impact. And it's also a space that you would realize that through entertainment and music and all these things that may be considered pop culture or cool at the moment, it's a space where planting the seed of diversity, planting the seed of equality, or any seed that's planted there is going to have impact and grow roots and spread branches throughout the rest of the society. And I think that's the I think that's that is the main crux of diversity and carnival. Carnival is a space that, you know, and this is actually what led to the partnership with UN Woman and Lost Driver. UN Woman had been in the Caribbean for a very long time. And we were we were coming um, up on the 25th anniversary of uh, Beijing, and I had a conversation with the team, and they were speaking about you know what they wanted to achieve, what they didn't achieve, and different ways that they were willing to take a risk and partner for the first time ever in the world. There was never a partnership between the UN and a carnival band, um, which was I mean I, I, I was mind blowing to me, and uh, and were humbled by that uh, that you know they would be willing to take this risk. Uh, to partner with us because they saw that what we stood for was what they stood for. And they saw that Carnival was that conduit to reach pockets of society and do that outreach work. Breaking the mold yeah. of the conversations yeah. being only in academic silos. A lot of times when we speak about diversity, when we speak about um, gender-based violence, or when we speak about generation equality, you know, the language is very academic. Um, the spaces that those conversations happen are uh, in very, very, you know, I mean, unreachable places, and there's a perception to those things, those conversations. But when we are able to break it down into podcasts like this between you and me talking and laughing, you know, it makes it relatable, it makes it accessible, it makes it understandable, and I think that is the main reason why diversity in carnival is important, the conversations of diversity and equality at Carnival are going to impact and stretch and spread throughout the wider cultural landscape. Yeah, and in, in your your trailer for Anansi, um, there was this part where you said, we are not East Indians or Africans, but we are, we are Caribbean people. What does it mean to be Caribbean? I think... Another very difficult question. I think, um, <laughs> I think it means that despite whatever you may see on our skin, on the outside, what is on the inside is a part of everything. We're a mashup. You know, in music, we speak about mashup of songs. I think we are a mashup of songs. Yeah. There's a way we spoke about the way of the Caribbean person and the way of the Caribbean person make it excessive and make it more, you know? I think we are our style. We are our, our, our place. Um, to be a Caribbean person, I think, is have perspective. To be a Caribbean person is to have vision. Um, to be a Caribbean person is to be us. I'm going to think about this question. I'm going to speak to you sometime again in the future. We're going to answer the same question again. Because it's a beautiful yes, question. <laughs> and uh, what what has been the most significant barrier in your career? Significant what? Sorry. Barrier. Oh, okay. Two answers. <laughs> <laughs> One, my first answer because it's most immediate is COVID. Um, as I said, 
just as just as much as COVID has been, you know, good in terms of a, a tidal wave. Let's look at it that way. COVID has been a tidal wave that we can ride into the future creatively. It shot us into the stratosphere. Um, in terms of forcing us to think like this box that we would have operated was destroyed. A tidal wave can also be destructive, and people's resources, people's uh, psychologies, and so it's, it's going to be difficult, and we're going to have to love each other and work together to be able to come out of it. You know, it's only together we're going to, be able to come out of it. So COVID is one challenge. The other thing, and you know, I think this is a good one for young designers to hear as well, is that you know it's financing. Um, Walt Disney said big ideas need big money. And it's a very true thing. Throughout his entire career, um, and I've heard him say this on many, you know, interviews about him. Throughout his entire career, he had departments and departments of people that would work on financing to be able to develop these huge parks and spaces all around the world that, that, that make the foundation of what Disney is to everybody. Um, but throughout his entire career, even though he was Walt Disney, Financing was always problematic. And I think it's something that every artist, and I think it's something that I will tell every other person or every other artist that's listening to this radio. Don't be discouraged by it. You know, it seems very hard. It seems very daunting. Um, it's daunting for me too, as I mentioned, like I was talking about the Mocha Jumbi costumes. The reason I couldn't produce them for six years, I never wanted to make it. <laughs> They're expensive, but where there is a will, there is a way. <laughs> And where there is a creative mind, there will be design, and we can design to achieve things differently. So we may think that we have X, Y, and Z that will cost X, Y, and Z, but I'm sure if we think about it, we'll be able to find a different way to either achieve that or to achieve the same impact of it or something else. But uh, I think as long as there is um, creativity and dreaming in this world, there will always be that. Uh, that dance between um, financing and corporate and the arts. Yeah, and what what's the biggest factor that helped you to be successful in this career, that helped you to become Mr. Val? Ah, Mr. Val, here you go again. Um, well, thank you, very, thank you very much for thinking that, um, that I'm successful. I think... I think the not thinking that I am successful has been one of the biggest things for me. You know, I've been raised um, to always, you know, see space in that glass for more. You can't have the glass full with go. You can't, you know, you, you, you can't fill with gas because then there'll be no space to put anything out <laughs> it, you know? So I think humility is, um, is a huge factor for me. I think the recognition that at any point in my life that I am, there's always, and there will always be so much more to go. There will always be so much more to learn. Um, there will be so much more experience to have. And I think I'll, I'll get bored if I ever get to the top of that. You know, if I ever feel like I'm going to reach, I'll just be so tired of it, you know? Yeah. And so that to me, I think, I mean, there are many, there are many things, but I think that is, um, that, that, that recognition of self, and that I am part of something and not the whole of something. It's something that has led to my continued journey. Yeah, and uh, when you begin, began your career, uh, you ever saw yourself being here today? You ever saw yourself being the designer and the creative person that oh you God, are no, today? Because <laughs> I never thought anything like this would be where I am. Um, it's funny because I can't tell you that I remember where I thought I would have been. I, I've never been a that long-term kind of planning kind of person. So um, I think I knew I would always be in the creative field, but I can't tell you that, no, that I thought that I would be here, which I think is a beautiful thing. Yeah, and... Uh... What what can we expect from the Lost Tribe or expect from uh, you and a couple of designers or is it going to be a surprise? Well, I think it'll definitely be a surprise. I think it'll be a surprise to us as well. <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> it always is to some extent. 
But what I can tell you is that I have seen exponential growth and explosion in our design team, in myself, on paper, off paper, in the projects that we are doing. So I can't wait to see that translated into carnival costume designs. I feel as well that I am so giddy with excitement to get back on the road and giddy with excitement to design that I don't know what that's going to do. You know? So I, I hope you all love what yeah. we do. Um, I see that first year of carnival when we get together, when we are able to gather again, you know, safety first, stay home, wear a mask right now, we're writing right now, put your hand. Um, but by the time we able to get back to we are vaccinated and we can hit that road again, um, I think it's going to be probably the most euphoric experience. There's probably going to need to be a tent on the side of the road for people to go and get, you know, like, consoled because they'll be in tears. You know, they, I think it'll be a beautiful, beautiful time. Beautiful see. Uh, are you are you hinting our virtual Monday and Tuesday? You see, it's a weird thing. <laughs> I and this is actually something that led to what, what Labway was. What we have in Trinidad as our carnival is something so sacred and something so unique. I'm not going to lie to you, I do not think that it can be reproduced in virtual format. I think that elements of the carnival can be expressed virtually. So, for example, the way that we describe with imagination and thoughts, and so we can reimagine things, but there are certain things you just can't reproduce. That feeling of being on the road or that energy that's created there is something that can't be produced in a virtual format, at least in the devices that we have right now for us, you know? So, I wouldn't say no to it, but I do. What, what I would say is that I think. The question would need to be refined with the definition of what virtual carnival means. And that really is my question, meaning from you. That is a definition in everybody's mind. Like if every viewer right now, sorry, listen up, which is say, what does virtual carnival mean to me? Think beyond just seeing a carnival on a screen. Virtual means interacting with something in a different, non-touchable way right now, because of where we are at, you know, in the middle of this pandemic or at whatever tailor the pandemic you may perceive it to be. So what does virtual mean to you? What does interacting with your culture mean to you? And I think that the answering of those questions would lead us to an interesting virtual experience for 2020. Yeah, and uh, do, you, do you think that, that women in your profession have a hard time getting promoted or recognized? So over the past year, we've been speaking about this a lot. Um, and I see a lot of strides happening and continuing in the carnival. Because when I started on my side of the world, meaning who I was interacting with and so and who I saw being the, the forerunners in the carnival, they were all women. You know, women in the not only tribe, but you know, my friends and so who raised me in this industry, I think I was inspired by um, you know, a very strong, strong, strong women, very strong figureheads. I do think because carnival exists as a part of society, there will always be a level of the bias that exists in society is going to impact the carnival. But then you also have the vice versa that I just spoke about where carnival can then impact the society. So I think it's a it's a, a symbiosis, if you will, in the wrong society that's impact the carnival. And so we see it there as well. But at the same time, I do think there's a lot of women opportunity. Actually, let me tell you a story. So when we were doing some campaigns with UN Women for Carnival last year, one of the campaigns was called the Faces Behind the Festival. And we took the opportunity to um, to pull some, some statistics within our own census. And what we found was that, you know, the numbers were reflecting that Carnival was a festival for women by women, which I thought was... It, it's something that yeah. I suppose somebody could put in their song about carnival as woman, but it wasn't only about music alone. Now, this is you talking about the figures are telling you this, where you see the majority of designers and producers and bartenders and rope pullers and all people in this industry are women, and the number one masquerader, the majority of the masqueraders are women as well, which means 
it's being it's a cycle you know it's a cycle that allows for um allows for independence it's a cycle that allows for freedom and they, they did a couple of interviews like a different sessions that spoke uh to women both in our camp and outside different parts of the industry that spoke about their experience and you know you have people talking about how you know this carnival is is, is the way that they're able to maintain and feed their children and family and and build their homes or whatever like because it's seasonal you know they're able to get a lot of finances out of it and then do things throughout the end and come back to it and i found that was very very interesting now it was a very very small study and we didn't get to expand on it the way that we wanted to because of what was happening with the pandemic but it definitely found it into many discussions such as this that i have had and it's one that we are going to be continuing moving forward to really explore what you just said you know what is the mobility and what is the hierarchy of carnival if you will yeah and um is there a age of, of who should or shouldn't be in carnival or can anyone at any age be a part of carnival or part of the i think anyone at any age definitely carnival um, what you may know, when you think about carnival, you may just think about, you know, bodies whining on your TV. Let's say, or you might be talking about the But there's so <laughs> many other aspects of the carnival that are not that, that I think if somebody were thinking, am I too young? Or maybe thinking the child wants to get involved in design. And so there are different aspects of the city's carnival. Um, traditional masters we discussed before, different festivals and different topics that happen within the carnival that I think of. It's really healthy and very important for us to get our children involved in these things from really, you know. Don't we to say, well, okay, well, when they're 18, then I'm going to be carrying them and talking to see us because when they're 18, they want to hear about you, you know. We need to socialize our kids and kids from young. Yeah. Right, yeah. And Mr. Wowie, we, we have one more question, and this is really sad because this conversation oh is going so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what what advice would you give to firstly the next generation and secondly the next generation of designers um maybe it's part and parcel of the same advice to the next generation love each other respect each other and you know we've used the word diversity and generational lots in this conversation and we know that cultural change and the road to cultural change is slow but i've seen leaps and bounds happen around me in my short time on this earth and i think the next generation i'm already seeing it that you know, they, the way that they look at things is different than those who have come before us and so you know keep respect and love in your heart i know it sounds almost shady I think it's the best safe and advice that I could give to the generation. To the next generation of designers, I would say this is not an industry for the art. This is not a space that is going to be easy. When you get involved in Carnival, there are many different things that you're going to have to face as a designer. But always remember that you're a designer first. Always remember that you're an artist and remember the impact that your work has not only to people but to yourself you know look at what your work does for you expressing something out in that way remind yourself of how you feel and keep on expressing keep on designing don't let nobody bust your throat don't let nobody try to you know take advantage of you they would try but you stand strong and you keep on creating on dreaming and dreaming and dreaming because what this world needs especially coming out of the pandemic is more dreamers my friend um early last year just talking about the pandemic and again, we were all scared like what's gonna happen and he said you know we saw the post pandemic world or the post COVID world as being a world similar to post war and what does he mean by that? Post-war meaning that it's a space that the world is going to need dreamers to dream what the new world is going to be. And I think that's a very beautiful space because it's almost like if we had this opportunity for uh, a, a, a real-time reset, you know? Like all of a sudden, you click, you remember, 
back in the day with cell phones, you could have put out the phone on the battery and plug it back in if your phone was working properly. We got our, our battery pulled out and we plugged it back in. And I think um, we cannot we cannot go forward in terms of silos. I keep saying that we have to go forward with considering our as designers, dream and dream and dream and dream. And the world will see themselves through your vision. Yeah. So, wow, that was really deep and amazing. <laughs> I hope it. I hope it. Yeah, so Mr. Val, no, Mr. Mr. Val, uh, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast for, you know, telling us and and giving us industry insights into carnival, into the greater show and earth, and for encouraging our new designers, our new creatives. And uh, for, you know, just being a part of our podcast again. And we do hope to continue doing amazing stuff with you in the future. And we we can't wait to see what Lost Tribe and what Mr. Val has in store Thank for Thank you us. very, very much. This was a pleasure. You are a gracious and amazing host. And I really enjoyed speaking to you. I can't wait for more as well. Thank you for having me. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you liked our episode today, please share it with others and post on your social media platforms. We post our podcast bi-weekly on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, and Breaker. To know more about Girl Up IWO, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks again and see you next time. Bye.